The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. There's this ancient Christian tradition that on Resurrection Sunday, someone's going to say, Christ is risen, and then everyone else is supposed to say, Christ is risen indeed, Christ is risen indeed, so let's, um, thank you Christian, that was great, I could hear you over everyone. Um, so let's, uh, let's try this. Christ is, risen. Christ is risen. I did say he, didn't I? So that was a little trick. I'm going to say he and you're going to say he. Let's try this again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now let's try it the other way. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. You guys nailed it. Um, Hey, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you, we're going to look at three texts today. Uh, We're going to look at Matthew 28. If you grab one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you, uh, that's on page 620. We're going to be looking at uh, part of 1 Corinthians 15, which is on page 719, and uh, John 5, which is 664. And I'm going to say all this again uh, to to remind you when we get to it. If you have the YouVersion app on your phone, that's really the easiest way to follow along. There's an event in there that has all of these verses for you, and we just want to encourage and invite you to follow along in Scripture with us uh, today as we talk about the resurrection, as we talk about three questions of the resurrection. First off is, is what is this day about? What is this resurrection all about. The second question is, what does it mean? What did, what did this resur- resurrection accomplish? What is this resurrection accomplishing? And then the third question is for all of us really to wrestle through um, together as a body, but also in a very personalized and individualized way, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for me? So those three questions, what is the resurrection? What's the day about? What are we... Um, what does it mean and what's my response? So here's the first question. What, what is the resurrection? What, what, what do we celebrate this for? So on a Friday about 2,000 years ago, which we now call Good Friday, there was, this, there was this man named Jesus from the nowhere town of Nazareth, and he was executed on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And what you should know is on its own, there's really nothing, there's nothing fantastic about that. There were lots of people killed on this hill outside of Jerusalem over the years by the Romans. There was really nothing, um, at least on the surface, that set him apart. So we have to ask this question, well, if that's the guy that died on that day, and that's the guy that was resurrected three days later, what what was so significant about his death? What's so significant about his resurrection And the reason that Jesus was killed on that particular Friday about 2,000 years ago, it was really the result of of a clash of of three different kingdoms that was taking place. So the first kingdom that was taking place was the kingdom of the Jews. The Jewish people had this kingdom where as long as you, you followed all of the rules and all of the regulations of what we now call the Old Testament and you participate in the, in the ritualistic sacrifices and you bring your animal to the temple and, and you go to synagogue and you do all of these things, what the king, that kingdom was proclaiming was you'll find salvation. If you follow those rules, the, again, the Old Testament, if you follow those rules, you live under that kingdom, you'll find salvation. The second kingdom 
that was also taking place at this exact same time was the kingdom of the Roman Empire. And we talked a lot about the Roman Empire last year when we went through the book of Romans together. And the kingdom of the Roman Empire was simple. Caesar is God. Caesar is God. And as long as you worship Caesar as God, you can pretty much do whatever you want to. But Caesar is God. And the way that that kingdom was enforced was with the sword of the state. So as long as you worship Caesar as God and you were a productive citizen and, and you did all of the things that were expected from a, from a Roman empire, you, were, you would find salvation in the reality, their reality, that Caesar was God. But this person that died on the cross about 2,000 years ago, he was proclaiming a different kingdom. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. He was really the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he, that's what he was telling everyone. That's what he was telling the people who were trying to, trying to run the Jewish kingdom, that I'm the fulfillment of all of those things. At the end of his life, when he is confronted by Pilate, and Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus' response is yes. See, this kingdom that Jesus was living under and proclaiming and really bringing with him was, was a kingdom of love and joy and mercy and looking out and caring for marginalized people and preaching freedom from sin. Not just, not just the external sins that, that many of us kind of get wrapped up in, but he was talking about a sin that was taking place inside the hearts of, of men and women. So it was for the proclamation of this kingdom and for his claiming to be king of it that Jesus was killed. Because Jesus' kingdom stood in stark contrast to the Jewish kingdom and to the Roman kingdom. And each one of those other kingdoms, we're, also, we're both saying, like, there's really only one kingdom and it's ours. So Jesus comes along and he's proclaiming this other kingdom. And three days later, after Jesus is crucified, which is the most awful death you can possibly imagine. Jesus is crucified. He's dead. Dead. He's dead. Comes off the cross. They bury him in a tomb. And three days later, because that Saturday was a Sabbath, three days later, there's this group of women that go out to the tomb. And what they're going to do is they're going to prepare Jesus's um, body for, for final burial. So they've done all these things, and now they're going to they're gonna follow the laws of their kingdom, which is dead people stay dead. So they're going to go out to the tomb, and they're going to do all of the ritual things that Jewish people did at this time. But something else happened. Let's read. This is Matthew 28 again. This is page 620 in your Bible. This is Matthew 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, 
just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to, him, said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So what happened? It's the first question. What happened on this day? Well, Jesus was, Jesus was resurrected. We've been having this conversation over the past few weeks. Um, Jesus was not resuscitated. There's a difference between those two words. See, someone who is resuscitated, who comes back to life, is going to die again. Jesus was not resuscitated. We read the story earlier in the Gospels. We, we read the story about Lazarus. We sort of sang about him, putting ourselves in his place. I ran out of that grave. You called my name. Lazarus, come out. I came running out of the grave. I think that would have been a bit of a bummer for Lazarus, honestly, because he was dead. And he calls, he's called out. But don't miss the fact that Jesus was resurrected. He wasn't resuscitated. Jesus was resurrected into new life, into a transformed life. And if we were to spend time today looking at all of the other, the other three Gospels, well, we would see that in many cases... Those initial disciples, those initial encounters that Jesus had with people that he had spent three years with, something strange happened. They didn't recognize him. There was, there was something about him that, that drew them to him, but there was something different about who he was now. See, Jesus was resurrected. Jesus was resurrected into new life. And he spent the next 40 days with his disciples, with his apostles. The apostle Paul talks about he appeared at one time to 500 people. And then 40 days after this day, he ascended to heaven. And when we read through the Bible, we see that Jesus is, is now seated at God's right hand and he's, he's ready to return. So that's what happened. This is the thing as Christians, this is what we proclaim happened. No resuscitation, resurrection. New life. He didn't rally in the tomb over those three days. He was resurrected into new life. And here's the second question that we have to ask. Well, what does this mean? Right? What, what does this mean that Jesus was resurrected? And for the answer to that, we have to actually look ahead a little bit into the New Testament. Into this letter that we call 1 Corinthians um, Paul wrote this letter to a church that he founded in the city of Corinth. And if you don't know who Paul is, we can pause for a moment. He's the apostle formerly known as Saul. And Saul was a firm believer in the Jewish kingdom. Hi, Veronica. Was that you saying hi to me? That's awesome. We love kids here. Um, Paul's the apostle formerly known as Saul. And Saul was all about living the Jewish kingdom. 
He was like a general for the Jewish kingdom. He was out to force everyone to live in the Jewish kingdom. Saul was there when the first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen, was killed. The text in Acts tells us that Saul was there giving their approval. And he stood there and the men who who threw the rocks at Stephen to kill him dropped their coats at Saul's feet. This is Saul. And one day Saul is sent on a mission to Damascus in Syria. And his mission is to seek out, find, arrest those who are followers of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. Return them to Jerusalem, return them to Jerusalem in chains, men, women, and children. Torture them until they either confessed and changed their faith and renounced Jesus or until they died. That was, that was Saul's mission. That was his purpose. He was all in on the Jewish kingdom. But something happened instead. And if, you are, if you're a Christian, you're probably a little familiar with this story. Something happened instead. On his way to Jerusalem, or on, excuse me, on his way to Damascus, he meets someone named Jesus. He meets the, he meets the risen Jesus. And his life is dramatically changed. And he becomes a follower of this Jesus. He embraces this new kingdom of Jesus. So then Paul goes out and he's on all of these different missionary journeys and he's founding all of these churches. And one of them is in Corinth. And decades later, he's going to write a letter to the church at Corinth. Because one of the things that he hears that they're sort of struggling with as a church is there's a group of people who are saying that there's no such thing as a resurrection. See, what they believed in Corinth at this time, this group of Christians, what they believed was when when mankind died, there was no bodily resurrection. What would happen is we would either become a disembodied spirit in heaven or we would become a disembodied spirit in hell. What they're saying is there's no resurrection. So Paul writes this. This is 1 Corinthians 15. This is page 719 in your pew Bible. I'm going to read to you verses 12 through 20. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? Listen to what Paul's argument is. For if there's no resurrection of the dead, for, so if you think you're just going to be a disembodied spirit in heaven or a disembodied spirit in hell, if that's true, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Listen to the implications of this. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of all your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. 
And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. See, what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth is that if there is no bodily resurrection of Jesus, mankind is eternally doomed. There's no hope. See, some people think, well, I like, I like the way Jesus taught, but I don't like the fact that he claimed to be God. I don't like all of the God talk. He was a good moral person, and if we just live by his precepts, the world will be gumdrops and lollipops. That's what some people think in our world. Maybe that's what some of you think in our world, that, that if we just would follow Jesus and we don't have to accept him as our Savior, we don't have to submit to him as our Lord, we don't have to do any of these things. We can just kind of follow his rules and the world will be great. But Paul says something really interesting. He says in verse 19, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, here's what Paul's saying. If all we have are gumdrops and lollipops in this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. It's because there's more to reality than just this life. There is more at stake in the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just making us good, morally upright people who don't sin like our neighbors do. Who don't sin as badly as our neighbors do. Jesus, Paul is talking about something that's, that's actually different because of the resurrection. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Here's what Paul is saying. We're in a world of hurt. We're in a world of pain and suffering if Christ has not been raised from the dead, but he has been. When Cody and I were talking about this last week, he just kind of threw this out there and I had to write it really fast. He said, and if it, the resurrection, didn't happen, that sucks and everything is stupid. <laughs> That's summary, that is, that is Cody Peter, Pastor Cody Peterson's paraphrase of this text. And if it, the resurrection, didn't happen, that sucks and everything is stupid. But then Cody says this, but it did happen. It did happen. This is what Paul is talking about. We're, we're talking about something that happened. We're talking about something that happened. We're talking about something that people have believed for thousands of years. We're talking about something that people have proclaimed for thousands of years. Mary and Mary believed it and they proclaimed it. The disciples, once they saw Jesus, believed and they proclaimed it. The early church proclaimed it. We stand today as followers of Christ. We proclaim it. Westway Church, Christian Church, we proclaim that Jesus has risen from the dead, has been resurrected. I'm standing before you proclaiming that Jesus has been resurrected and was raised from the dead. Well, why? What, why would we proclaim this? That's really the third question. What, what difference has this made in my life? What difference has this made in your own life? Why do we proclaim this thing? Why do we respond, Christ has risen indeed, when someone says Christ is risen? Or why do we respond, he is risen indeed, when someone says he is risen? Why do we do that? 
This past week on Wednesday night here, we were, we were talking in, in one of the Bible studies that happens here, and we read John chapter 5, verse 24. It's on page 664 in your Bible, and I would encourage you to open it. This is John 5.24. This is a great example of texts that I've probably read dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times in my life. And it wasn't until someone actually read it slowly and asked it in the form of a question that I had any idea what it was talking about. It was fantastic. This is Jesus, by the way. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins because they have, but they have already passed from death into life. Why do we proclaim this message? Why do we tell other people about this resurrection of Jesus, this risenness of Jesus? Why do we do this? And the answer is simple because we've listened and we've believed. And we are not condemned. We're not condemned now. We're not just going to be not condemned when we die and we face God in judgment. It's not just some future reality that we are not condemned from. We, as Christians, see, we, we have this life now. And one of the things that I would, after six years with you. I would love for you to get the fact that as a follower of Christ, you're not condemned today. And what that practically means is you don't have to sit around and wallow in your sin. You don't have to sit around wondering if, if, if you crossed that line and now God is going to judge you and God's going to cut it off. He's going to cut you off. He's going to remove you from his family. So you don't have to do that. If you are in him, you have confidence, you have assurance, you have new life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. They've already done it. We're not waiting for it to happen. We're doing it now. And this is why we proclaim this message. We think we're not good enough, and the truth is we're not, but Jesus is. And Jesus has saved us. Jesus has delivered us. Jesus has given us new life that we can live it now. And this ought to change everything for us. We ought to live newly. I would submit to you that when we enter into this relationship with Jesus, we ought to be a little bit like Jesus when he first appeared to the disciples. There was something about him that they sort of recognized, sort of didn't. Like they were compelled to be with us, and they couldn't quite figure it out because we're different, because we're new. Because like Jesus, we have been brought into new life. I want to read the rest of these verses for you. This is verse 25. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. We had a lot of conversation about this text on Wednesday night. Is Jesus talking about some sort of future reality that when all mankind, at the end of time, all mankind is going to rise and stand before God in judgment? The answer to that question is yes. This is talking about a future reality. But 
It's also talking about today. See, because there are people who are spiritually dead today. And they, right now, I, in this room, in fact, I believe it. There are people in this room who are spiritually dead. And what you're hearing right now through the word of God is the voice of God. What you are hearing right now is God speaking life over you. Giving you an opportunity to enter into this new life. And if you listen, you will live. If you listen, you'll live. This father has life in himself and has granted the same life-giving spirit to his son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Don't be so surprised. Now we're getting to dead dead. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves, hear the difference, will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. This is what Jesus is saying. When we hear this voice of God, we can respond. Well, we all will respond. And the question is, are we going to respond in life or are we going to respond in death? And if we respond, we listen, we hear, we obey, we'll be raised to new life. And if we don't, we're cast out. This is what Jesus is telling us. This is the importance of the resurrection. This is the decision and the choice that's being laid between each one of us. There is a resurrection of the dead. There will be a time where everyone in their graves will rise. And Jesus will judge based on our response to what he has called us to be. Based on our response to how he has called us to live. And every single one of us, again, I'm going to repeat it. All of us in here today, like this is God's voice talking to you, not me. This is God's voice talking to you. Speaking to you truth. I found this quote this week from Rebecca McLaughlin in a book I'm reading. The message of Easter is not that Jesus does so that we can one day float around as disembodied souls in some ethereal realm. Instead, it's that the king of all the universe has died for us. And if we trust in him, he'll one day bring us back to an embodied life, richer and fresher and more beautiful than anything we felt on earth so far. As a follower of Christ to you today, I'm proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus to you. I'm proclaiming to you that new life is possible. And my hope and my prayer, my, like the thing that I've been praying about all week long, all week long is that you would see what you are being invited into. That you would hear his voice maybe for the very first time and you would respond to it and desire life. Let's proclaim this together. Christ is risen. Christ is is risen. Christ is risen Christ is risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to faithfully proclaim the message of the resurrection. That we can have new life through your son, Jesus. That it's available to us. Every single person in this room is hearing the same message today. 
It's not a message of condemnation or judgment or fear. It's a message of hope. It's a call to live as though we have been resurrected, to live as though we have received this hope of the resurrection. And what I pray today over those who are here, those who are watching online, those who will hear and interact with this message later, I pray that we would accept the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and live new lives because of it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.